0: SNAP Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Every week we choose a topic, something that is going on in the world, a situation somewhere that needs breaking down to be understood very clearly. And that's why Dr. Keith Souter is a master at this stuff three PhDs, uh, media commentator on all sorts of international relation issues for decades, members of exclusive overseas hoity-toity clubs that no one else can be a part of. You have to have an IQ of about 400 to be in them. And, Keith, yeah, it's always a pleasure to work with you. And, you know, for someone as well who's interested in international affairs and and to have it broken down so clearly, and that's what you do, you and I have worked together quite a number of years in media, um, TV. um, My background's radio as well. So... Together, I ask the questions that, uh, well, most people would probably want to know, although you deliver them anyway. You just Mm. have a sense of what people need to know. (laughs) So today, we are talking the World Health Organization, and this is poignant because obviously they have been trying to coordinate a worldwide effort to combat coronavirus, COVID-19, and have come under heavy criticism for allowing it to get out of hand in the first place. Donald Trump is the biggest critic of them. He's been very vocal against the World Health Organization. Has cut funding to them from America, which is quite devastating, really. But let's get into this, he- mm. um, first of all, Keith. Why is the World Health Organization important? What do they do?
1: So the World Health Organization was formed 70 years ago, and it coordinates international action on health issues. So you have a number of different international agencies under the broad heading of the United Nations. You've got some on finance. You've got uh, UNESCO, which deals with education and science, etc. You've got another one on international labour organisation. This one deals specifically with health. And so the Australian Minister for Health, whoever he or she happens to be at the time, is the Australian representative on the World Health Assembly. So uh, it's an organisation which is, as you say, has come under a criticism. It's normally in the background. You don't know that the World Health Organization exists. I remember in the old days when I was traveling, I used to have a, a yellow look-alike to a passport, really, in which you used to record all your injections. So that was issued by the Australian Department of Health and the World Health Organization. So the World Health Organization would say, if you're visiting Latin America, these are the injections that you need to have. And then when you came back from Latin America, the immigration officials can just look at your little yellow document alongside your real passport and make sure that, yes, you did have the proper inoculations before you went so you're safe to enter Australia or United States, United Kingdom, whatever. So generally speaking, most people would not be aware of what the World Health Organisation is about. It's one of these organisations that works each day, all day, every day, generally without publicity. At the moment, it's attracting a huge amount of publicity, far more than it's done probably at any other time in its history, because Donald Trump has blamed the World Health Organization for handling the coronavirus crisis so badly. Now, some people are saying, well, the president is blaming the World Health Organization because he himself behaved so badly and continues to behave so badly. The total number of Americans so far who have died because of uh, the coronavirus crisis is now twice the number that are killed in the Vietnam War. And and yet you could look at other countries like Australia and New Zealand still battling the problem but nowhere near on that same extent. So Trump decided to blame the World Health Organization for not giving enough warning and particularly for being too much under the control of China. It is interesting when you actually look at the figures of the World Health Organization, and this is a very interesting briefing document issued by the Council on Foreign Relations in New York, and they've actually gone through to see who's been giving what. And when you look at at the budget, who are the biggest funders for the World Health Organization? It's actually uh, the United States, followed by Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, so that's Microsoft money. Then you've got the United Kingdom, and then you've got Gavi, which is a vaccine alliance about which I know nothing, Germany, Japan, and then also on the list of the top 20, although we come in at number 20, is Australia. So of the biggest funders of the World Health Organisation, right at the bottom of the top 20 list, but at least we make it to the top 20, there are over 190 members. You've got about 196. That's basically every country in the world joins the UN and you also join specialised agencies like the World Health Organisation.
0: And do you have any idea of what we pay? Every year, Keith, is um, there a sort of indication? Looking of how at how much this figure, pays? this
1: will be in US dollars, and the US government sum of money would uh, from the Australian get sum of money. Uh, difficult to work out for the bar graph, but I would think probably fifty million dollars, yeah, American. Right. Not a huge sum of money. You know, the total amount of money which Australians give to the UN system comes to about twenty dollars per week per person. <laughs> wow.
0: <laughs> and for what they're expect- what they're meant to do, I guess, as global organisations.
1: Yeah. So, you know, for the work that is actually done, it's actually done on a very small budget. So that the complaint from Donald Trump is that the World Health Organisation is too influenced by China, and yet when you look at the list of funders of China, it's actually... Well, it's above us because we're number twenty. But one, two, three, four, five, six. So they're about number fourteen.
0: <laughs> right.
1: So they're six from the bottom, and we're at the bottom of the top twenty. Right. So you've got another one hundred seventy other countries to uh, to look at. So at least we're in the top twenty, which you would expect. And China is there, but China is not a major contributor. The number one contributor, because it's based on the size of your economy and uh, at least in terms of the, the dues that are paid. So if you've got the world's biggest economy, you have to pay the, the largest single sum of money. But what you can also do is to make voluntary sums of money, which Australia does, and obviously Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation, are they, they don't get charged UN membership figures or anything like that, but they, they make a 100% voluntary donation. To in this case the World Health Organization, as I say, they come in at number two, well ahead of governments like the UK or Germany or Japan, etc.
0: But the Gates are known as well for being um, what's the word for it I've
1: philanthropists.
0: Yes, I think yep. yeah, I'd stuff it up today. So yeah. <laughs> I say it. Um, but they give a lot of money every year, don't they? They, they do, do indeed. So
1: they do give a lot of money, and and particularly to the World Health Organization. Um, but uh, Donald Trump is wrong to say the World Health Organization. Is influenced highly by China because China is is obviously not the number one contributor. His own country is now, of course. What China can do, and probably what China did do, was to delay the reporting of the crisis.
0: But then, how could the World Health Organization? We know that China did that. So why can why would they cop blame for that? That was very transparently China not it, telling the world that. Well, that's that was right a because
1: it, you know it's a voluntary organization. Um, And it's also because of the problem of national sovereignty. You know, you had the Australian Prime Minister saying the World Health Organisation should have officials stationed in every country monitoring disease. Well, you've got problems of of being able to station people from an overseas organisation in your country. We would object to that. Now, every person who is based in Australian territory has to be covered by a treaty. So, uh, for example, we have uh, Russians and Americans on our Antarctic Territory. Even at the height of the Cold War, there was still peace at the South Pole as Russians and Americans worked together. We're the largest single claimant to Antarctica. So they were working together on our territory, but they were governed by the Antarctic Treaty. So what uh, the, the Prime Minister, just speaking off the top of his head before the officials could get to him, was saying, well, the World Health Organization should have people monitoring what's going on in every country. You can't do that. Unless countries agree and China will not agree, but then the United States is not good either in allowing foreign people to be based in their soil. So there is a real problem there. It's a problem which is structural. It goes back to the creation really of the UN itself, it's not just the World Health Organization, the limited power that the UN has to interfere in the domestic affairs of other countries. Indeed, the UN is expressly banned from getting involved in the domestic affairs of other countries. He can't do that. So the Prime Minister, the Australian Prime Minister was wrong to suggest that somehow we can have somebody based in China just monitoring that. So it is unfortunate that the Chinese were so uncooperative, but then that's the nature of the closed system. The Chinese are also well aware that many of the diseases that cause havoc in the world do emerge from China because of their particular uh, use of wet markets, the sale of animals. Uh, in a way that would be banned in Australia, but which are nonetheless, even though they're nominally banned in China, nonetheless are still going on. The Chinese government is perhaps not as powerful as people like to think, and you have local corruption, and you get local markets who bribe local police to look elsewhere, and so they don't see these criminal activities taking place. They don't stop them because they're on the take. So you've got a high degree of corruption within China, Therefore, you end up, it's interesting as we speak at the moment, there is concern about a new version of swine flu, again, coming out of China. So this goes back, they are the largest single consumer of pigs. And so if it's swine flu, then it may well be China, and it certainly is now in China. Mm. So we're we're not only concerned about the coronavirus, which may have come from pangolins or bats, we're not sure, but you've now also possibly going to have a problem with swine flu. So th- these are all the difficulties that we have to uh, to cope with.
0: This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Today we're talking about the World Health Organisation um, for good reason. It, it is the global organisation that, that deals with health issues. Uh, coronavirus is top of mind, obviously, um, and the heavy criticism they've come under by the American government, well, Trump really just in that they they were identified as being pro-China, not doing enough in the beginning of this to stop it from spreading around the world, um, which we've sort of you know discounted really. Keith, you have through a number of arguments just then. Can we talk about some of the other examples of the good that W the World Health 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 Organization have um, have done? Ebola. There have been so many big. Big health issues that could have been a lot worse.
1: Yeah.
0: Are they, were they, did they benefit those situations? Did their existence help the lack of spread in those times?
1: The standard example that gets quoted is the eradication of smallpox. So it's the first time that an entire disease has disappeared from the globe. So that was a proposal made by the then Soviet minister in the World Health Organization. And the campaign was actually led by an American. And this uh, has ran on for many years, but we know the name of the last victim to die of smallpox, totally eradicated from the globe. There are only samples of smallpox held in a couple of locations so that we don't lose our memory of what is in a smallpox poison, but basically the disease has disappeared. Then they uh, took on the issue of polio, which is now down to four countries, all Islamic, all having difficulties going ahead with the vaccines. Um, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Nigeria, and uh, I think one other country having problems with some of the local mullahs who object to the vaccines being carried out. As you know, of course, even in rich, developed countries like the United States and Australia, we've got a campaign against vaccines, but that's not, that's against the whole issue, the principle of vaccine. We need to look at that. There is a very good book coming out about the whole campaign to stop children being vaccinated for measles, mumps, and rubella, MMR. That's a separate issue. So here you've got the World Health Organization trying to encourage people to get vaccinated, but you end up with Islamic mullahs mm. and affluent Westerners saying we don't want children to get vaccinated. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, incredible. So we, that'll be the subject, I think, for later program once the book is is officially available. So we've got The Eradication of Smallpox, we have polio now down to only four countries. Another one is malaria, which killed more Australian soldiers in World War II than the Japanese did. And the Bill and Melinda Gates is spearheading that campaign against uh, uh, against malaria. So that's the third one. They're, they're, the if you like, the ones that are going on all the time. And then, as you say, you, you do get other issues that suddenly flare up for example, you get SARS, which is the Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. That epidemic was back in 2003.
0: And just on that note, coronavirus is linked to SARS, isn't uh, yep. it? it's a strain of it.
1: Yeah, it goes into your... So it chokes your lungs. It goes into the lungs. It may also affect blood clotting. We're still trying to get our head around what the current coronavirus variation is all about. But that's another problem which emerged, of course, from China. And China denied in 2003... China denied for months that it was suffering from an uh, an outbreak of the infectious disease that we eventually called SARS. Mm -hmm. So we had people dying, but China was reluctant to admit that there was a problem. Um, It's interesting the current head of the World Health Organization, Dr Tedros, was himself the health minister in Ethiopia when there was a cholera outbreak, and he's been accused of downplaying that now, the reason why you downplay it is obviously you don't want to discourage people from visiting your country. And so China has been bad, Ethiopia obviously in this particular instance was bad over over cholera. And, of course, for a long time in our own region, Indonesia denied that there were any problems with coronavirus because it didn't want to have people stopped visiting for tourism purposes. So there is always pressure to sort of play down the extent of the illness. And, of course, the United States is the poster card of this, if you like, because... Donald Trump, uh, right from the very beginning, said I oh, was just a mild form of flu. President Bolsonaro has taken a similar attitude. And Boris Johnson, mm-hmm. which are the three countries that have had the biggest uh, amount of, of problems, the US, Brazil, and the UK. Three leaders who have not taken the threat seriously and who have not listened to the warnings from the World Health Organisation. I
0: want to go back to some of the good things you were just talking about with the World Health Organisation, the good that they do, Keith. Um, <clears throat> I want to just touch on the fact that a lot of these countries, especially in the Middle East and Pakistan being one of them, those are the, those are the countries you're referring to when you're talking about the mullahs, the yeah. Islamic mullahs that come out and then don't want anyone in their village um, to be vaccinated against anything. And polio has made a huge comeback in Pakistan, for example, and it's just it's not it's not a disease that anyone knows that anyone's really heard of in the in the developed world right. for a generations almost. Like it, it it doesn't well, decades certainly, but it had the...
1: never left Pakistan. The problem was that as, as you're right and in fact the, the standard example of what you're talking about is tuberculosis. Right. So tuberculosis is a disease of poverty. It's a disease that you get in overcrowded areas and it was eradicated from the United States back in the uh, 50s or 60s people stopped being taught about tb in um, in medical school and they didn't recognize that it's bounced back it's now found in 26 American states You're and a few years ago there was even a case on wall street you know in the old days of wall street you know all these dealers would be very close to each other and breathing in each other's air all of us carry a bit of tb in us but because we're basically very healthy The TB doesn't do any damage to us. So we will die with the TB, not because of it. But if you put people together who are poor, overcrowded, poor sanitation, all these sorts of issues, it's a disease of poverty. And as societies have got richer, so the disease has gone and our medical students forgot to, (laughs) or didn't get taught how to recognise it. And so as we bounce back, we had to let our guard down. And that is always a risk with vaccinations that... The same thing was occurring, I guess, in Pakistan, that you, the Pakistanis were just taking life easy, and so polio bounced back. These diseases are very aggressive. And this is the thing.
0: It's it's quite unfathomable that America withdraw funding oh. from an organisation that is spearheading <laughs> things like rubella, and it's just, yeah. just so short-sighted. Like, oh. Imagine <laughs> rubella making a comeback yeah. or, or anything yep. for that matter.
1: Absolutely. Measles that we talked about. Yeah, measles, mumps, and rubella. They're the big three that we're very worried about at the moment. Uh, Because of, and this is not a problem of of, of poor countries necessarily, but it's of rich areas. If you look at Australia, the areas for worst inoculations in terms of MMR are up around uh, Byron Bay, which is the alternative lifestyle community, and the eastern suburbs of Sydney where you've got rich mums. So it's not a disease of poverty. You know, if you're dealing with mums in the western suburbs, they follow orders. They get told to have the kids if inoculated, they do. Mm -hmm. Whereas you've got independent thinking young mums who say, oh, well, we're not in favour of having the children inoculate or they're listening to all this sort of anti-vaccine stuff on social media, et cetera. As I say, we need to look at this bigger issue later on um, uh, when the book is actually made available. I've read the book, but it's not yet available in circulation, so I can't talk about it. It's a very good book. I might just say that the final comment about the World Health Organisation is the warning that it's given about... Uh, pandemics such as coronavirus are the result of humanity's destruction of nature in other words if we've got the illegal and unsustainable wildlife trade as well as the devastation of forests and other wild places were still dri- the driving forces behind the increasing number of diseases leaping from wildlife into humans and so there is a warning which has just been given by the World Health Organization in the last uh, few weeks along with the World Wildlife Fund for Animals, WWF, just saying, look, we we are causing real problems for ourselves by the way that we treat wildlife, by the way that we're cutting down forests and liberating the diseases that are in the forest, which will then come back and attack us. So uh, get ready to hear more about these diseases, these exotic diseases, as the years roll by. The World Wildlife Fund has said that 60 to 70% of the new diseases that have emerged in humans since 1990 have come from wildlife. So that's sh- that's the problem. We are uh, cutting into these areas which really ought to be off limits and then we're paying the price for that.
0: Isn't it? So for the way forward from here, how do we do you think that the World Health Organizations uh reputation has been damaged to the point of disrepair?
1: No, no, I think that that uh, you know that the Trump uh, bump uh, is a problem, but I think that ultimately ministers of health and their staff, more importantly, their, their staff, recognise the importance of being with the World Health Organisation. And the WHO will remain an important organisation. I think there should be more funding going to it, not less.
0: Global Truths was presented by Dr Keith Suter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.